Hi there. Welcome to The Preventable, the podcast giving you a seat at the table with conversations about the intersection of alcohol, drugs, and mental health in everyday lives. Take a seat and join us. Welcome to The Preventable. That's the name we've decided on. We're sticking with it. Uh, Joining me today is Mr. Clark Porter. Say hi to the audience, Clark. Hello. So Clark is, I don't, we'll go into it in a minute about how I met you, Clark, but your current title, I I remember, I can't forget it. You're a community resource specialist and you're with the Federal Probation Office, Eastern Region. Yes. Yes. Uh, going on 13 years. 13 years. Yeah, wow. Okay. Yeah. Don't even start. I turned 40 this year and it's like, oh, is it? I'm 52. <laughs> <laughs> you look fab. It's the purple. If you, can, you can't see it, but he's wearing a fabulous purple shirt. So here's how we met. One of our educators mm-hmm. who goes into the classrooms yep. got a message from you on Facebook. Yes. Deborah Townsend. De- Miss Deborah Townsend. Because you... Were in her class, mm-hmm. I believe, when you were in like third grade, fifth grade, uh, something like third that. Or four, I think she was third or four. She taught, and so you reached out to her and mm-hmm. said, "Hey, remember me, right. right?" Yeah. And she remembered you. Why do you think she remembered you? Well, I was a screw up one, <laughs> and uh, you were a screw up. Is that what you said? Yeah. Oh, okay. I actually, I, she taught at a group home. Uh, for kids who were in the system, foster system. And so that's why, that's what she met me at in the foster system. I was in the foster system. And kind of like, you know, you don't get to hear, you know, whatever happened to someone. So I kind of gave her the quick and fast, hey, you know, uh, after I left you guys, ended up in prison for armed robbery when I was 17. And then I got out, went to uh, Forest Park Community College, got my associates in human services. Then uh, Dean uh, Wiltonberg said, hey, come to Wash U. So I ended up at Wash U. And then I got my master's of social work from University of Missouri, St. Louis. So so I told her, I said, hey, this is what I'm doing now. So she's like, oh, my God. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God is right. She started <laughs> crying. She walked in with the phone and said, I can't believe this. Look at this. And then she said that she always remembered you, not because you were a screw up, <laughs> but because you had that smile, that same <laughs> smile that you have right now. And, like, you stirred the pot a little bit, but yeah. that you you had kind of a heart of gold. Uh-huh. So, Clark, how'd you get how'd you get into trouble? Uh, With, I mean, no you know, no no naming names, of course, yeah, no, but. Pretty much no direction, because after I left the system, which what happens to everybody, you know, you kind of either age out of the system or walk away from the system. Mm. I walked away from the system at 15, ended up on the streets. So it was like feast or famine, you know, so. And, you know, either you became predator or you became prey. You know, I chose to be predator. And uh, kind of fell in, you know, with my brother and other guys for us being in the streets and ended up committed on robbery when I was 17 uh, at the federal level. Uh, uh, robbed the downtown post office broad daylight, so it wasn't all that bright. That was bold. And dumb. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't say bold, I'd say dumb. Okay, okay. And uh, I ended up with a 35-year sentence. <sighs> And doing that time, my incarcerated still hadn't grown up yet mentally, you know. Uh, so I was steady getting into trouble. Ended up in what they call supermax, 
for 10 to 15 years. So I spent 15, 10 of my, my last 10 years in Supermax. And what is Supermax? That's 22 hours a day lockdown, seven days a week. Yeah, so that's pretty much how I live uh, the last 10 years of my incarceration. And then I came out, and I'm like, hey, you know, I ain't going to make it out here. And I, you know, and I, and I you know, you know, realized my shortcomings. One, I had mental health issues, bipolar, generalized anxiety disorder, depression, the whole nine yards, I guess you could say. So I immediately went went to therapy over at UMSL. They got a service called uh, Community Psychological Services. Yes. And I would pay my little ten dollars at the time. Yep. And I would get treatment. And then she's like, "Hey, you know, you seem like you got some things going on besides just adjustment, you know." So she sent me over to. Uh, uh, St. Louis University, it's called Slucare Psychiatric Services. And they like, hey, they diagnosed me at a, as a generalized anxiety, mm-hmm. but they missed a lot. Mm. It wasn't, and then I then fast forward like 10 years later because you don't just get your diagnosis and walk away. Correct. They don't get it right the first time. And then one of the young ladies at Slucare, she, she started hearing me say some things. She said, mm, take this little blue pill. I'm like, I'm not bipolar. She said, well, just take it anyway. And then it was like the magic pill. You know, everything just worked out. And that kind of got me on track with a lot of things and you know, kept me moving forward for a progression through life, man. Everything's been good. Well, and you kind of gloss over that, but it, it's hard work. Yeah, you had to put in the work. Yeah, you, know, you have to put in the work. A lot of people don't want to put in the work because you had to kind of humble yourself to a lot of things and admit to a lot of things you don't want. Mm -hmm. And we're going to come back to kind of how you're taking the lessons you learned to help other men that are in your same position uh, or were in your same are in the position you were in. Uh, We're going to talk about that in a minute. But you sort of like fast forwarded through your story. And so you said that, you know, you were in Supermax for 10 years and then you got out and you went to school. Like you went to UMSL you, right. and you made the decision that you didn't want to be back there, right? right? So I, I'm wondering, like, when you were released, mm-hmm. how were your social supports at that time? I like support, social support system with my family, but they weren't in there. And my aunt, she always said, we'll help you, but we're not going to do it for you. Mm, okay. And so when I got out, you know, I realized, hey, you know, and it wasn't personal. It was just that you have to take responsibility. And so I immediately got my own apartment, got employed, you know, took those steps. And then I had to learn how to manage, you know, on many levels, financially, socially, you know. And it was a learning curve because a lot of people had to teach me. You know, I didn't I didn't have social skills, you know. I was like uh, a caveman when it comes to dating, you know. Hey, let's go out. You know? <laughs> I was like, hold up, you know. And then I had a professor uh, at, uh, at uh, Forest Park, Cecilia Johnson, uh, and she would tell me, hey, this is how you conduct yourself. This is how you act. And then I had another uh, student advisor, uh, Eloise Finney. She would tell me, my, they would work on my social skills. Mm. Between those two and my aunt, you know, I, they worked on my social skills. And that's what I had to learn through them. And I kind of fell through the cracks at, at uh, Wash U because Wash U, you know, uh, mental health is a regular thing there. And so... Mm-hmm. Everybody looks normal, even though nobody's normal there. Yeah, and what is normal? What does that even mean? Right. Right. So when I went to UMSO, you know, uh, uh, Dr. Sharon Johnson, she picked up uh, where Dr. uh, Cecilia Johnson and Miss Finney left off and her and uh, Patty Rosenthal, they was like, hey, you know, we have to have a powwow because, you know, 
it's not going to work. So, so they had we, to teach me. They had to teach you. So the the last episode of um, this podcast, we had a third and a fifth grader mm-hmm. um, in here, and and we were talking about so you know social skills, which mm-hmm. they don't call them that, right? I mean, they mm-hmm. call them like friendship. Like we learned about friendship, and we learned about sharing and being nice, and you know treating others with respect. And you know, I asked them why it's important. And they said, well, because sometimes, you know, it's hard when you're a grown up. Or if we learn these things now, then it might be easier. And I think it's interesting that, you know, you remembered the teacher, Mm -hmm. Miss Deborah, that you had when you were in elementary Mm -hmm. school. You're talking now about all of these social skills you had to relearn. How old were you when you got out? 32. 32. Mm-hmm. So you're learning these things at 32. I bet mm-hmm. they would have been a heck of a lot easier had yeah. you learned them I when you were a kid. exactly like second grade. Right. Right. And, you know, it's not it's not so much that I didn't learn those. Correct. Things. I learned them, but I had to relearn. Like you had to relearn them. Yep. You know, because my way of doing, you know, respect is a big thing in prison. So it's like out here a person bumps you. You have to walk away. Where in prison, that's like you don't do that. Uh, communication skills, you know, yes. people, when I first came out, the, 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 the most weirdest thing to me was my uncle and my aunt, and they said, hey, how you doing? They met me at the halfway house. We laughed, we joked, talked, got caught up, and they started having a conversation about shopping at, uh, which was then Famous Bar, and all the sales at Famous Bar, and I'm like, why are they having a conversation about Famous Bar? What the heck is that about? You know, that's kind of weird, but that's normal communication. Right. That's something I had to learn. Just like chit chat, just right. Yeah, I didn't know how to chit chat. Right, know, that's something you don't do in prison. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, you always got to go out up. Yeah, you know the conversation is about you know who killed who, who shot who, who stabbed who. <sighs> those kinds of conversations you don't have a chit chat. So it's like we just didn't. So it was not normal to me. So that's become. I mean, you're a man of many missions, I think. Mm-hmm. But one of your missions, at least how I know you, is to really help. Men in particular who are leaving the system and re-entering society kind of reunify with their families, right, and their kids, but then also, like, kind of gain some of those skills that you had to relearn. I spent a lot of time uh, at Marion, USP Marion and FCI Greenville prisons. Those are prisons, yes. I've been there. I was at Marion with you. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. and... uh, uh, and so I spent a lot of time teaching them cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, teach them self-control, responsible thinking, uh, how to develop goals as it relates to them getting themselves on track. So it's a learning, constant learning process because what seems easy to you and I, mm. it's not easy to them. Because right. You're talking about a person spent from the age of 12 to the age of 20 in the streets, then the age of 20 to the age of 30 in the prison system. They don't know how to functionality. Yeah, I mean, your brain is developing during that time, and you know, what you do a lot of, you get good at. Right, then you have to understand the trauma involved as well. Oh, I can't even. They're stunned by that, you know, they're stunned by neglect and abuse, and then you put them in an environment that's more violence and and neglect and abuse in many ways. Right. And then you put them back out into the community. And then you're expecting them to hold down a job, succeed, Be welcomed with open arms yes. with by their families, knowing how to parent, knowing how to be a partner in a relationship. And they don't. They you know, right because you know uh, 
you know, you get up in the morning, you go to work, you know, you have a relationship, normal life. That's not normal to them. So if I take them and put them in that environment, they can't function. It's the same as if I take you from corporate America, who was a CEO, and I take you and drop you all the way back down and say, okay, here's a kilo of drugs, sell it, and function in the streets. Can't do it. No. So how do how you think they're going to be able to manage and mainstream society when they never had to do so? Right. And one of the things that we've talked about, I mean, we, we've we've sort of partnered together to teach or reteach parenting skills, mm-hmm. um, communication skills, as you mentioned, but also kind of skills that would be needed to live a life free of substances. Like right. we we sort of avoid the word like recovery or something like that because not everybody thinks that they have a quote unquote problem with drugs and not everybody was, yeah, not everybody was put into drugs, uh, put into jail because of drugs, but it's definitely part of the lifestyle. Right. Right. But so you said something really interesting to me. You're like, okay, so somebody gets out of, out of jail and uh, what do they do for fun? They can't do the same things for fun that they used to do before jail right you you had to learn for example what it meant to go to the art museum right i had to learn how you know to go to art hill and just be bored right (laughs) right exactly i had to learn how to sit with a cup of coffee and do nothing you know because all around me there was activities there was constant hustle and bustle so i had to relearn all of these things and it was a process just to be able to sit and not to be in a uh, constant state of survival mode so what do you think is the relationship with people kind of re-entering and maintaining what some might call a sober lifestyle? Or I mean, because there's traps oh, everywhere, right? I mean, you I'm assuming you get tested pretty regularly for drugs, like you have to be on probation or parole. I mean, so mm-hmm. but that's that's difficult for Yeah, post social lifestyle. Exactly. Because, no. You know, my social club was the pool hall. In the liquor store, the corner liquor store, uh, my acquaintances were guys who were addicts, thieves, and hustlers. So now you take all that away. Who do I have? You know, uh, this is what I know. This is all I know. And you telling me to, uh, hey, sit down at a coffee shop and have a cup of coffee. It's not easy. So without giving the secret sauce away, mm-hmm. how do you how do you do it? How, I mean, how do we? It's a learning process. Yeah. How do we a, start to rebuild? It's a constant learning process. You take a step at a time. Uh, you, have to, you have to kind of step out there and you learn how to, let's say, go to the art museum. You do what you did in prison. You develop a program in prison, which was that program consisted of, you know, faith in terms of religion. You develop, uh, you got employed in the prison, do that in the community, faith in the community. You had a recreational and health. You did, you did things to develop yourself intellectually. Do the same thing mm-hmm. in the community. You did it on the micro level. You imagine you do it on the macro level. So you and the the folks that you work with, I mean, you're providing pretty intensive support Mm -hmm. for these gentlemen. Right. Right. What do you think? I mean, this is probably like the million dollar question, but what do you think is the biggest misconception about formerly incarcerated people who are reentering society? Like, what do you think is that they don't have to be that they don't have to offenders that they can just stop and it doesn't work like that. Mm. It's a whole dynamic involved with stopping, desisting. You know, people think, oh, you just come out here and get a job and live like everybody else. It doesn't work like that. 
because that's like telling me telling you, hey, come out here and sell a kilo of drugs. You know, you can't do it. it you don't. You don't know. You don't know. Yeah, I'd be terrible out. at that, by the way. Exactly. Yeah, I'd be terrible so at what it. What makes you think they're going to succeed at, at being in mainstream society and functioning when they got to get by on fifteen dollars an hour? Fifteen. So it's more than just giving them, quote unquote, a, a job, job or it's, a it's, house. It's, it's a whole choice. way of thinking. It's a whole thinking. You have to change your whole thinking. So how do we do it? One one by one? Do we? Are there? I'm a big believer in cognitive-based therapies. Tell tell our readers, or our listeners, <laughs> readers, tell them what that means. Changing their thinking process. Okay. Yeah, I tell them to go left instead of right, which is something they always done. You got you to gotta change your whole thinking and get them to see things in a whole different perspective. You got to show them how to see things in a whole different perspective. You got to guide them through the process because just saying change, which I hate the expression change people, places, and things because you can tell me that, but how do I do it? Right. Oh, that's true. And so changing people's places and things, that's a common uh, saying and concept in different fellowship groups and things like that. But it does sound pretty, but you're saying it's. Application is way harder. So it's that how do we teach those skills? How how do we do that? I mean, that's well. Someone who's been incarcerated, you gotta you gotta you gotta apply it to prison. Yeah. Oh. Okay. They understand that. So when you say change people, places, and things, what did you do when you went to prison? You didn't hang out with the with the guys, the sexual predators. You didn't hang out with the drug addicts. You didn't hang out with the gamblers. You start you avoided the, the three rules. You know, you avoid gambling, uh, 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 sex. You avoid uh, drugs. Those three things, you'll be okay. And disrespect. You avoid those things, you stay out of trouble. So how do you so how do you avoid those things? You get a whole new program for yourself, which mm-hmm. involves you going to, let's say, to the to the mosque. It involves you uh, uh, getting the book and learning about Machiavelli. It involves you. Uh, I love uh, me some Machiavelli. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. All yeah, right. So the political theory nerd is coming out in me. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You know, it involves you uh, finding a job as an orderly. Anything to keep you out of the way mm-hmm. and keep you in a structured environment, in a structured situation. So when they get out, you got to teach them how to be in a structured situation. But you're telling them to, st- to create that structure for themselves and stay in that groove. Hmm. I mean, I know how to do it with little kids. And so Same it's thing with adults. it yeah it's it it is it's the the step by step and it's peer support right it's it's positive outlets it's that stuff what okay what is your take on this word like grit or resilience it's a word that we use that we use a lot the literature says is a word that you can use but I know recently it's kind of really fallen out of favor I'm a strong believer. You are because, okay. You know because I, you know if we, we got what they call a pre-sentence report, it's kind of like a snapshot of a person's life. What is it it's, called? It's pre-sentence report. Okay, pre-sentence report. Okay. You know the probation officer and the pre-sentence unit would write a report, and it goes by your criminal offenses, your family background, uh, your whether or not you're a substance abuser, whether or not you have any health issues, whether or not you've been employed, what's your level of education, all of that is a snapshot and it goes before the judge. For him to have uh, consider mitigating circumstances, everybody always pre-sentence reads the same: loss, violence, mm. abuse, neglect, trauma, trauma, trauma. Always. Out of ten reports, you want only, you would only get a normal one. 
out of 10 reports, you may get one normal one. That's lucky. And that basically is just less trauma, probably. Less trauma. Yeah, the right. trauma has been reported. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, when you start talking about resiliency, you know, guys, you know, they found a way to overcome. It may not be your way. Right. This way may have been, well, you know, things aren't going well for me. I'm going to sell drugs. Things, you know, instead of being preyed upon, I'm going to be the predator. Mm-hmm. It, it's there. It's always there. It's just it may not be the picture you want to see or what you uh, or what you envision, but it's there. You know, a person look at my life and say, "Man, he was a violent person when he was in prison." You know, but I'm but I'm standing. You know, uh, you made it out. I made it out on this side to help countless other right. individuals. You know, but right. A person would look at my background and be like, oh "My God," you know, because there was hesitation with letting me back into the prison system. You know, once they read my prison record, hmm. you know, things like that. But on the other side of that, you know, I took a long way and a long route, which is a lot of these guys do. But in the end, they're still standing, you know, because I've got guys who've been shot up multiple times, uh, went through physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse, and they're still standing. So what's your ideal of resiliency? Is it, uh, you know, uh, it's just like substance abuse. You know, is a guy clean? Uh, if he goes 90 days, mm. you call that a success or do you mm. call it a failure, even though he relapsed? Mm-hmm. Is how you measure it. You're just the best person to have on. I could talk to you all day. So what is success for you, Clark? For me personally? Yeah, for you. What, is, what does success look like? I, you know, walking down 20 years on this job and just walking away. Nothing, no fanfare, no nothing to what someone say. Hey, he, good you know, luck he with worked, that, by the way. Worked. There's going to be some fanfare when you walk yeah, away. You know, just he did 20 years, he walked away. That was it. You know, nothing spectacular. Just, uh, you know, you know, and, you know, me being an ex-convict is just an asterisk. That's it. Mm-hmm. You know, I try to live like that. You know, that's just an asterisk to who I am. It's just not the sum total of who I am. Do you think it's it's moving in that direction? Like, do you feel like... It's it's less of a thing and more of an asterisk that that it's not a part of you. Mm, yeah, it's not a part of me. I make it a part of me when I'm working with guys because they have to see the lived experience. Side. They right. need to know that you know so, you what know, you're talking my about. Family with my kids, they can care less. They still don't listen to me. You know? <laughs> so, it's yeah. rear view mirror stuff. Yeah, they don't. They don't listen to me. They don't. You know, it's not. It does not. It doesn't excite them. You know, a family dinner, it doesn't, it's not brought up, you know, a family Christmas or family functions. And is that success no to you? Yeah. That it's literally, same. it's a footnote. Yeah. And I'm not in a state of uh, survival. I'm not mm. in a state of rebuilding my life. I'm just, you know, an average guy trying to pay rent. I'm trying to pay a mortgage, trying to pay a car note and living life. Yeah. You well, th- thank you for taking some time today and including us in part of your life. I, uh, a few years ago when when Deborah brought the phone to me and said, you're never going to believe this with tears in her eyes. She was just uh, so excited, number one, first and foremost, to just hear from a former student who remembered her. I mean, that's that's what every teacher wants mm-hmm. and um, love that, you know, you are making an impression in the, the men that you're working with right now. Uh, if you like more of these conversations, if you're interested in hearing more about Clark and others, uh, please consider reviewing or subscribing to the Preventable Podcast. Clark, it has been a real pleasure. It's been too long, my friend. Way too long. We need to go to Marion soon. All right. Talk, talk about. Yeah. Okay. Yes, you better. All right. Thank you for joining us. 
Thanks for joining us at The Preventable, brought to you ad-free by PreventEd. PreventEd works to reduce or prevent the harms of alcohol and other drug use through education, intervention, and advocacy. Please visit their website at prevented.org. Like what you heard? Rate, review, and subscribe to stay up to date with what we are serving on The Preventable.